Welcome to CNET Book Club, the show where we talk about books of interest to CNET readers and CNET editors like myself. I'm Dan Ackerman, and with Scott Stein today, I am joined by Douglas Rushkoff, one of the earliest thinkers of the internet era, author of books like Present Shock and Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus. His new one is Team Human. Here's our conversation. What is Team Human? Are we all on it together? Do you have to apply? What's the deal? Um, Team Human's really just the human race, but um, I'm trying to frame it in a way where we can see the human race as a team, as a collective, rather than as all these individuals competing for some, you know, peace against each other. So uh, I came up with the idea of Team Human when I was I was actually on a panel with one of the Singularity guys, and he was arguing that hmm. human beings should accept their inevitable extinction and replacement by robots and machines. And I made a impassioned argument for human beings that we're weird and wonderful. We can we can live in the liminal spaces between things. We can sustain ambiguity and we deserve a place in the digital future. And he said, oh, Rushkoff, you're just saying that because you're a human. Like, oh. like it was hubris. And I said, fine, guilty as charged. I'm on, I'm on team human. You know, and from then on, I started to say I'm on team human. And then I started to think more about it and realized that 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 meme, that construct is also about the idea that being human is a team sport, that our, our evolution is really the story of not of, of survival of the fittest individual competing against the others, but the story of how different species learn to collaborate and cooperate with each other and with other species in order to, to sustain themselves. And that Darwinian concept, that survival of the fittest, is what everyone uses to justify everything they do in business. Which is not actually a Darwinian Correct. concept. It's a bastardization of Darwin. Saying that about Darwin is like saying that that uh, Adam Smith was in favor of, of corporate capitalism when he wasn't. He was making all of his books are against corporate capitalism and for local small business pushing up against these large, you know, East India trading companies. So I don't know how that happens. But if you actually read the thing and that's the, the beauty of scholarship, so you can go back and actually read a book that everybody's talking about and say, Oh, this guy's saying that totally different thing here. Yeah. Going back and reading it is, is is bad for a lot of people's arguments, so I feel like they don't do that. Right. Don't look, just quote but it. I do don't love read the it. concept yeah. that everyone has everyone has acclimated to the concept that like we're gonna become extinct and be replaced by robots or AI or something else. That takes me back to one of my obsessions, which is the very first robot story, Rossum's Universal Robots, from like 1920, where the human race is replaced by robots in the end in a very natural evolutionary way, and they become us. Uh, and that was creepy back then, and uh, the fact that we accept this now as, as just the inevitable is even creepier. Yeah, well, them wanting to become us is almost sweet. Right? That's sort of more like anthropomorphism, where we see the human in the machines and they're striving like data on mm -hmm, Star Trek to mm -hmm. be like humans. And I feel like things have flipped and now people want to be more like machines. You know, we, we've always had a bit of the, what, what we call mechanomorphism in us, you know, in the, in the industrial age, we thought of ourselves as clockwork, as machines, and now in a computer age, we think of ourselves as, do I have enough RAM or I can't process this, I need to multitask. We're trying to be like Computers like digital technology, and that's much worse than I. I don't mind machines wanting to be like me, or trying to replace me, or competing a little bit with me. That's at least they're looking at me as the thing they to want aspire to. to. <laughs> Maybe they'll take the best parts. That's one of the most interesting things I thought was in the book was that idea that um, you know how we build, we, we become the thing. 
that we're looking at, or there's that sense of mirroring. So you say, you know, if it's in the age of television that we, it, it's not only so much what we're looking at from TV's perspective, but we're then absorbing that a little bit ourselves and thinking of it on those terms, or in the age now with with the internet, and that if you even look at, uh, as you point out, uh, when it comes to algorithms, that we think about AI and that what you're feeding into it is coming from us. So it's it's this mirroring process where what are we really looking at? But a reflection of ourselves. But like, how much has that become like a weird feedback loop? Where is that what it is? Like in periods of time, they kind of seem like they accelerate and feed into each other and get out of control. It's definitely a feedback loop. It's funny. I mean, sort of the first part of what you're talking about is what. Well, it's what you studied at Fordham. It's what we call media ecology. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that different media have different environments around them. So the a smartphone is not just this thing in your pocket. It's the world that conforms to what it is to be in a, in a smartphone universe. You know, and, and we did. We did transition from a television universe, which was very much about sort of hands around the world, globalism, and, you know, man landing on the moon and everyone watching it simultaneously, that, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That was the television era. And it had good things about it, that we were, became a little bit more environmentally conscious and planet and ecosystem and all that. The bad thing was sort of neoliberalism and, you know, the WTO and all that. But now we're in the digital age, which is, again, it's a really different environment in which to live, which is much more about, is it here, is it there? A one, a zero. Everything is distinct. So you end up, you know, with boundaries. Instead of tear down this wall, you get Donald Trump building walls, trying to recreate the boundaries around everything, make everything discrete. Are you American or Canadian? Mexican or this? This or that? It's like, whoa, it's, it's, it's really different and hard. It's hard to contend with. But yeah, but then there's also a feedback loop between us and our technologies, particularly when they're surveilling us all the time. So you mm-hmm. have a technology surveilling our behavior in order to change the algorithm, in order to change our behavior, in order to change the algorithm to change our behavior. And whatever we're programming the algorithms to get from us and this beautiful Internet of Things that we're living in now, um, they're going to get one way or the other. And we aren't even allowed to know what the algorithms are after. They're all in proprietary black mm-hmm. boxes. You can't open your phone and say, what are you doing to me? You know, all we know is that B.J. Fogg at Stanford in his Captology Laboratory is taking the algorithms from slot machines and porting them to our devices and having them addict us and convince us of stuff. And then our behavior changes, then they change, then, then we change. Sometimes, most optimistically, I think of it as like an arms race. Between us, we develop a new defense mechanism, a new cultural resistance. Then they have to develop a new weapon to try to, you know, push us into submission or hypnotize us into uh, into a stupor. And then we come back and try, this, you know, so it's a back and forth. At least that would be good. But now I feel like, no, we are trying to increase our utility value and serve ourselves, render ourselves up to the machines as quickly and efficiently as possible so that they somehow, you know, pull us into their world. Now that we've invited them into our homes with these uh, uh, Alexa and these other assistants that are literally listening all the time, and that with the Google device that had a microphone in it that nobody even knew about, right. mm-hmm. people complain, "Oh, my yep. webcam! I've got to put a Post-it note over it." What about the ten other cameras and microphones in your house at the same time? Yeah, and it would be beautiful if it were like Star Trek and Picard on the deck, computer, oh. you know, do this. That the sense of that was like the intelligent agents of the 90s on the web. Mm-hmm. That you're sending, computer, get me this. Computer, get me that. Alexa, do this. Alexa, do that. But it's not. It's, it starts as that. But really, it's what is Alexa doing to you? You know, mm-hmm. you're, you are not using the net. The net is mm-hmm. using you. The net is configured to alter your behavior. And it's, that's the sort of the reversal 
that I'm that I'm writing about in Team Human. Say, no, no, no. I want human beings to be using technology, not technology to be using humans. Well, that's the thing I was curious about is how you, <laughs> the big question, how you do that. Because I, going back to even last year, where I think we've, we've been talking about this more and more culturally. Uh, General Lanier's book on 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social uh-huh. Media Account. Mm-hmm. We're talking about that too, about how you're, uh, you are becoming uh, what the algorithm is is making you, and and you've got to break away from that. Um, but you know, and I think people are feeling that now, it, it, absolutely. So what do you do? Like, how do you how do you feel like you're not being subsumed? What is the what's well, the breakaway? The, the problem is the simple answers I give seem so unbelievably simple that at least in the way we think about the world, that people reject them. But what I'm asking people to do is spend time in the real world with other people, is to, to reactivate or reclaim the five or 600,000 years of painstakingly evolved social mechanisms for establishing rapport. And rapport leads to group thinking and solidarity and, and collaboration. That we don't have that. We're afraid to look at each other. We sit on the subways playing dots or whatever. Nothing wrong. Sorry, John Borthick. Nothing wrong with dots. Um, you know, playing things on our on our phones and all. And I get it. If you're bored, if they're horrible people and they're muggers and you don't want to look at them, then you're going to do this. But that's not the the relationship we want to have with the other human beings. Should do what people have done on the subway for decades and decades before smartphones and just stare at the uh, at the dermatologist ass. <laughs> just above Dr. eye Zizmore. level. They're yeah. up there at that eye. So you can all look at them and you don't have to look at each other. If I were a genius, which I'm not, I would invent an app or technology that rewarded people for making eye contact. I feel like that's still, the best I think worst. that's on the horizon. Yes, right. It's the best well, yeah, and worst like, oh, Yeah. Oh, good. 1271. You get rewarded for some sort of virtual currency for for making and maintaining eye contact. But this reward is not as fulfilling as this reward. These Mm -hmm. rewards will give you dopamine. The reward of Mm -hmm. human to human Mm -hmm. contact gives you oxytocin. These are two really different things. Dopamine is more like heroin. You know, it's like, ah, ah, I need it. It's this addictive thing. Oxytocin is a bonding thing. It's oxytocin is what gets released when the you know the mother has the baby mm-hmm. at its mm-hmm. breast and they make eye contact. It's your mirror neurons start flashing and the oxytocin goes through your bloodstream and you experience the world differently. And if we experienced our se- ourselves and one another less as threats and more as as connective power, then the what your device is trying to do to you just looks like a a, a device trying to do something to you. Well, I just saw this story on Facebook Reality Labs where they're building in Pittsburgh realistic avatars for what makes me worried is that looking at the future of AR headsets and eye tracking, how much do you think people are going to try to simulate that eye contact? I mean, like you were saying about rewards, I mean, literally trying to simulate that as well. Like, is that going to be possibly subsumed by elements of technology. I just saw a pitch from somebody who had a video technology that would pay you for watching the video, but through eye tracking, so it's watching you watching a dumb video and giving you three cents when it's done. We were talking really about different ways that technologies can play the human psyche. In other words, can I do with little lasers or something to your eyes and somehow make your brain have the same response that it would have if it were connecting with another human. Can I reverse engineer right. your evolutionary feature in order to give you that so then you'll look to the phone for love? Um, yes and no. I think you can you can do it in one note, the sort of the way that 
Lexapro can hit one note of your serotonin uptake to make you less depressed on one note of depression, but it can't actually fill in all the colors of depression underneath. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, I'm here, I'm here, (laughs) I'm functional, I'm with it, I feel better, it's okay, but it's like, Dude, why why are you sad, really? And it's like, well, because the world sucks. I'm taking drugs to deal with the fact that I'm living in a capitalist, extractive society where no one's letting me have the kind of satisfaction that normal human beings have. When you go to Europe and you walk around the street at night and you see grandmothers and babies mm-hmm. and lovers and you know, and old men smoking cigars, and it's like, oh my god, that's what culture is. You know, it, it hasn't been 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 systematically. Uh, removed from the human experience in order to sell us uh, consumer products. Instead, you have a device strapped to your wrist that pings you once an hour and says, you're, you're not moving enough, get up, go do something, be right. productive. Or now yeah. at work, they have things to nudge you to like say something nice to a coworker. Or, <laughs> right. You know, you know, nudging, it's like, oh great, that's really gonna, you know, nudging is really gonna help me build my own uh, uh, sense of, uh, no. It's for, you know, the total sort of uh, uh, induced Asperger person who has just no sense of, oh, let's imitate Mm -hmm. something. Let's imitate social bonds. Well, that's what Facebook and these other organizations do, is they insert themselves as a middleman uh, instead of the the direct-direct. I have to tell you to be nice to somebody. I have to tell you that this guy had a baby and here's a picture of it. And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm the middleman. I provide no value. I just stand in between and skim a little off here and a little off here. And don't these things feel so worthless when you're in your Facebook feed? Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, have a great birthday. It was just my birthday yesterday. But there was also a Facebook outage for part of the day, so I felt like my intrinsic value was not reflected in the smaller-than-usual number of birthday greetings I got, which I used to judge how I will treat people for the rest of the year. If you missed yeah. out, But even it. if people use the Facebook reminder... I'm making all that up. That's not true. Even if they use the Facebook reminder birthday. to move into a different medium, just yeah. to go as far as email and even to say, dude, happy birthday. That even, there was just that amount of opening a new window to do it rather than just... Clicking or using the, the, the pre-made response. Oh, God. Yes. I left those, and I got so confused. Oh, yeah, it starts typing um, it for you most of the on time. LinkedIn, and, yeah, on LinkedIn, on Gmail, okay, cool. I'm seeing all these responses, and I'm like, I'm thinking, is that that person saying that? Oh, no, I'm supposed to say that. And it's like, can I just set it automatically to say things, and then my thing will say things to their yes. email, and theirs will say things to mine, yeah. and then I don't and even have to email with them I feel like anymore. they kind of have that already. We're basically there. Especially when we're it comes to scheduling. There. It'll schedule something for yeah. you and let Half you know. Half of my emails now are like being pre-typed as I'm typing them, where the suggestions keep popping in. And you can just oh, email ride that feels along. so luxurious and archaic now to take the time to open an email and type it in and hit send. Yeah. Uh, that's what we first talked about a couple years ago was email overload. We did the story for CNET Magazine where I talked to you and I said, I have a hundred and something thousand unread emails. And I just, I, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Email is useless to me. Well, there's email bankruptcy. Yes. Like, let, I, 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 I just pointed this. Yes. Yeah. I just end up. I just huge, keep it all. Yeah, I keep the big numbers. Let so I can it show people on my phone to say this is why I didn't answer email because I got one hundred and seventy. No, I just hide the badge. I just, I just remove the badge number. Oh, I, I love even the badge. Know. I it just all it, builds up. I wear it as a as a badge yeah, of pride that, that I'm not participating. What about the worthy person? In they, there? I, I I hope they have my yeah. phone number so they can text me. But do you me. see at least? Do you scroll through the names to see? Always. You do. I try as much as I can. I I am always. That's what's exhausting. Is I I don't use. Too many filters, which I probably should, but I just I go through the the crud each day and just try to see if there's anything I can star that are like yeah the real people, which are like little tiny specks in the in the sea of the rest. Right. Of, can of they leave out as you do that? Trying boom, to get boom. in the yeah. magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Which I hold on to sometimes too, because sometimes there's a bit of information where you go like, oh, I don't know if that was ever mentioned to me before. So it's like a memory thing, but. Well, we've made the cost yeah. of storage so infinitesimally small. It doesn't cost anything to keep everything ever yeah. all the time. You can be a hoarder, and in that case, you can't remember or keep anything really because you kept everything. If you right. keep everything, maybe you really keep nothing. And then, I mean, what people tell me is, oh, well, you should hire an assistant <laughs> to read your email. It's like, okay, so now I've got to earn extra money right. and to hire somebody to live through email reading. That's another middleman. Right. That's it. A middle person. About, yeah, everything about Right, middle. but, I mean, what's more, what's more ethical? To hire a human being, some kid out of college, to read your email or to try to find an AI Google thing to do it or to just not deal with it at all? That's why I vote. Don't do it. <laughs> There's a story I never wrote last year where I, I met um, Gordon Bell, who is the, uh, yeah, yeah. the my life bits. Insane yeah, he's person. amazing. I yeah. met him in, in San Francisco. I still have to figure out. But the one thing I remember talking to him was that we're talking about the whole fragmented world now versus what he had been starting right. and how it's all been co-opted by different groups and that it's hard for him to even manage. But he mentioned that you everyone has to become their own librarian. And I was thinking about the effort he did for tagging everything to keep track because now it's true. Like I feel that everything is within its own co-opted world and so my memory feels shifted off and I don't feel like I've organized it because I've been lazy and it's sitting in like eight different buckets. Right. I mean the thing is if I didn't have to worry about money, right? Like, oh, one of those emails in there might be a talk that would pay me a lot mm -hmm. of money to just go somewhere and, and blur. What if I disconnected completely? In other words, what yeah. if you get to the point where it's so much that what if we just accept liberation? So you're not going to be able to even archive all your articles anymore. It's like, what am I archiving them for anyway, yeah. really? What if you live more in the flow space of, say, Twitter? Just what's happening yeah. today? I mean, it ends it's up... It's the Connery up, digital it's life. Yeah, gone. you just say, you, you realize in, you don't miss it. But do you end up in just Trump America with no sense mm. of memory, with no... I mean, I think you yeah. do if you stay digital. The only mm -hmm. reason to disconnect that much from your digital stuff should not be to then immerse yourself in another digital landscape. It would have to be, well, because I want to be with people. I want to, I mean, you have kids, yeah. you know? Yeah, you want to be with your kid and look exactly. at them and play with them. I mean, having a two or three or four year old is like as good as life gets, you know? that It's hitting every evolutionary trigger of satisfaction mm -hmm. and, you know, my genes are spreading, my fresh, yeah, yeah it's everything. So, you know, to, to do it that way is one thing, but, I don't think people are using the cognitive surplus that they get to their own advantage. I think they use it then, okay, I'll stop my email. Now I'm really going to focus on my LinkedIn contacts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm just going to watch videos on TikTok. Right. Well, or watch yeah. YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I feel like your book, Faster, like I remember reading that at the time and thinking about that. And Which I feel one? Like, Me? My yeah, book? Yeah. My book, oh, Present Shock. Oh, Present Shock. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, yeah. Present Shock. Yeah. Which I was reading all the books at that time. Yeah. yeah. No, no. But uh, Present Shock. Um, but about the acceleration and everything in that moment. But I feel like now is the moment where for like everybody else, it seems to have hit. Like, I feel like that present shock thing has been happening. Everyone's wrestling with it now. Right. And yeah. it's creating this new leaning on algorithms or breakdown or, or, or on a number of different levels. Like, what do you do when you feel like you say overwhelmed with, with all the stuff? Well, that's why I ended up with Team Human. I mean, yeah. I write Present Shock about this is what's happening in the moment. Everything's trying to tell us to catch up with it, but it's actually trying to catch up with us and yeah. how our, 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 our sense of time 
is is of sort of chronological time is is replacing or crowding out our real time, the time of readiness that we're actually in, and that that's becoming scarcer and scarcer. Then I had to look at, well, how did that happen? It was the economics. Yeah. So I did throwing rocks at the Google mm-hmm. bus and say, oh, okay, it's because if these companies have to grow in an accelerated fashion forever, then they're going to have to colonize human consciousness. And that's what they're doing. And it's why we're all getting poor and they're all getting rich. And, mm-hmm. and all of our values being converted into this abstract uh, stock price. And none of it's here for us. And then it's like, okay, so what do we do about it? You know, other than fight back with platform cooperatives and worker-owned businesses and local economic re-engineering and all that, it's like we have to reclaim terra firma. We have to reclaim our own moment-to-moment experience of life. You know, we have to find, I just write it on the back of the book, find the others, you yeah. know. That's a great Timothy Leary quote, actually. we got to find the others and, and connect with them. And it's it sounds... You know, again, it sounds so super simple, but it's really hard to do because you have to resist a multi-trillion dollar industry that's telling you other people are a threat. Other people want what you have. The more you connect, the more vulnerable you are. Mm -hmm. You know, that the object of the game in today's world, and I know this from the billionaires I've spoken to, is earn enough money to insulate yourself from Mm -hmm. the world that you're creating by earning money in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Totally true. And there are so many uh, online publications, uh, fortunately... Not us, where they have that board on the wall of who got how many page views today, and every employee is competing with every other employee instead of cooperating and building a team and doing it, you know, that as was a my whole. First internet column was for seniors. Yes, I remember in you telling you that. Nineteen ninety-six or something. Six or five. No. It was when Soledad O'Brien was doing a show mm-hmm. for them yeah, called, yeah. called The Web or and, something. And you know who else? We think of that as the uh, what's his name, Ryan Seacrest era. Yeah. And they, the editor, I'd done like four of them. They're giving me like two or three hundred bucks a pop. I don't know, some four hundred maybe, something decent um, for for that era. And uh, then they said, "Oh, we want you to change this because um, the last one didn't get mm-hmm. the, this number of hits. So change it to this, so you get more hits." And I was such a little, I was such a kid. I just went, F- "It," you know, I just, goodbye. I quit. And they're like, oh, no, no, wait, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. I'm gone. I don't need this. And I was just gone. It was like, could you imagine yeah. that they dared, that they used to be, and I'm a kid, I'm 31, 30 years old, whatever, yeah. that they dare even talk to me about metrics. I'm like, I'm not going down that road. Oh, yeah. You know, because it was like, <laughs> I knew which, where yeah. that would lead. Because writing has always been, and I don't mean it in a mean way, writing's always been a bit of a scam. You know, we... It is, yeah, you know, publishing. Me, publishers me, don't make money. Publishers kind of, kind of, yep. somehow keep themselves going, and then every ten or twenty years, some rich person has to come in and, and throw a lot of money into like Grove Press <laughs> or Atlantic or Harper and Row or whatever. These were not, you know, or or hope that you know you a, get one hit out of five hundred books, right? Exactly. That a you know whoever you know a, a James Michener comes along and everybody else rides on his coattails until. You know, I was going to say Marie Kondo, but yeah, there that's the modern, that's yeah. the modern yeah. equivalent. As, as, as we know, because um, um, I've done very graciously wrote a blurb for my book, which did not set the world on fire, and uh, is it one of those four ninety nine. Might be smoldering. That's right. Someday. So the, the, I found the book, your book, uh, hopeful in a lot of ways and encouraging, at the same time distressing because yeah. th- there's a there's a theme that go, goes on throughout the book where you you bring up that cyclically. Uh, you know, there are these periods of time 
where technologies, uh, whether it's printing press or, or television there, or the internet, that there's uh, that people are it has a possibility for people, um, and then it gets turned around where it is now being used to control or enslave or, or you know you no longer have control over it, right. and how the internet has changed to become that too. So my thought kept being to break out of it, and you mentioned um, is it Wetico, the idea of like yeah. you know, the colonization of, of of territories. When do we know when we think we're breaking out of it? How long will it turn around before we're now being co-opted and we're not free? Because you know the internet itself right. was like trying to be free, and mm-hmm. then and then the um, everything right. It's just like rock and, and roll is then sold at the mall, and it becomes the tool of your yeah. enslavement. You know, so whether it was you know a, a speech or the written word or radio and television or now the internet, they always start out as this kind of Mondo two thousand like liberation of the human imagination. That was a magazine and, I read growing <laughs> up. That was like the I was that pulling was out thing. That, yeah. I was pulling out that guide to the new millennium. It still is a pristine condition, but yeah, yeah that, 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 that sure, was. Yeah. But that was the original internet ethos. This West Coast kind of whole Earth catalogy. Uh, uh, but yeah. beyond, you know, that we were going to move into some kind of a collective fantasy role-playing game mm. thanks to hypertext and digital technology and the Gaia hypothesis and fractals and chaos math and all that. Mm. And instead of them establishing the set and setting around the internet, Wired Magazine came along and created a new set and setting, basically a techno-libertarian mm-hmm. set and setting, saying, no, 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 the, the, thanks to the internet, the NASDAQ stock exchange will go up and accelerate forever. That was their book, The mm-hmm. Long Boom. Wasn't there literally, I remember some article where a headline was like, greed is good for Wired. There was, there was, there yeah, was, a, there was a, that too. There was an issue, they put that out, like, I, you know, I really hope that that was the title, but I remember that turning point where mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, and then suddenly it was like about, the money in the dot-com but even, boom. Right. Yeah, even back then, now we're all old enough to have been around for dot-com 1.0, and we just wrote a bunch about that this past week because of the 30th anniversary of the Tim Berners-Lee yeah. you know, memo about how to form the internet. So I went back and wrote about my early dot-com 1996-97 startup days where we all, for about 18 months, thought we were going to be you know, super rich because we had these stock options that would be something someday. I was a playwright. Were, I was in an MFA <laughs> program for playwriting in San Diego. I was avoiding the dot-com completely. So, so we were all, we, and we had this wide-eyed, you know, like, oh, yeah. we're all publishers now. We yeah. never would have been able to do but this But what before. they did was, I mean, it was interesting. In, in The Long Boom, which was their book, uh, their sort of manifesto, The Opposite of Team Human, in The Long Boom, they said, Open is good, closed is bad, tattoo it on your forehead. They said that. I mean, it was a slight joke. Basically, open is good. So what they're doing is trying to equate the openness of a democratic society with Mm. open markets. Right. And open servers and open, open privacy and open everything. And it's like, no, actually, open everything... Talk to a feminist about open everything and see if she'll agree that open is always good. No, sometimes the store is closed, gentlemen. You know, it's like, and and life is like that too. You're allowed to have closure. You're allowed to have uh, uh, bounded communities. There, it's, it's, it's not only okay, it's essential to have tide pools, not just ocean. If it's just ocean, the corporations win. There's no local reality. There's nothing specific. There's nothing... Uh, uh, a genuine. So the reason why we lose, though, and you're right to go back to Wetico. So Wetico is what the Native Americans thought was the disease of the white people. Yeah. So they were so sympathetic to us as humans that they thought the fact that we were enslaving people and killing people and tearing down forests and just taking stuff to take it with no respect for nature or the cycles of life, 
They didn't think that we were intrinsically bad because they thought humans are essentially good. They thought we had a spiritual disease that they called wetico. Right? So wetico is basically this urge to colonize things and extract value from them no matter what they are. Another way to say it, Marx would call wetico, he'd call it capitalism. You know, that what you're trying to do, and capitalism's not business. For people, I love business is great, commerce is great, make money and all that. Capitalism as an ism is just the idea that you should extract the value. If you have enough money to start with, you extract, use the rules that you that you can dominate to extract value from an existing market is to Uberize mm-hmm. the camp industry or to Amazonize the book industry. You take, suck the value out of it. Uh, it is a different is a different thing. I think it goes back before capitalism, but capitalism is the easy way to understand it. That's sort of the religion of Wetico. How do we go in and take all the stuff these people have? You know, how does Walmart come in and get everyone else out of business and become the sole monopoly uh, source of everything? What do you think happens next? Like, what is the... Yeah, I'm not asking you to be a futurist. I, mean, yeah, I guess yeah. I am asking you to be what a futurist. What happens next? I don't know, right. what happens I mean, I'm now. a presentist, not a futurist. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh... Andy, uh, the guy running for uh, the president under the UBI thing, Andy Yang. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know he's read my stuff, and he just said, I'm not a futurist, I'm a presentist. And it's like, that's a line from Present Shock, dude. Waiting for your role. Credit my stuff. Beto just credited, uh, uh, um, what's their name? They they do the the song, the the band in in Boston, the the punk band that that the guy never sold out at all. Right. Fugazi. Oh, yeah, oh okay. okay. He just said Fugazi, Fugazi as an yeah. example of the sort of the kind of economic, ethical reality yeah, yeah, that he's yeah, yeah, yeah. never selling out and all. And I was like, oh, good, Beto, go for it. Is it Beto <laughs> or Beto? Somebody <laughs> somebody wrote a pronunciation guide and tweeted it, but I've already forgotten what it was. I think it was Beto. I've been saying Beto. I, I feel like maybe I've been pronouncing it wrong. I don't, I, I keep reading it. The point is it's not our fault. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah. And he's a white guy, you know. This Beto. I would Beto. I thought it would be that's like short for something. Yeah, something. But he's like a white Irish guy or something. It's white a, American yeah. Yeah. in Texas. And he just apologized for it. He said, "I know some of you are going to want to vote for a woman or a person of color, mm. and I understand that. If you feel that way, you should vote that way." That was kind of like. That's kind of good too. Yeah, it's he's like, good. He's good. He's got a good. Yeah. He's got yeah. a good rap. He's got a good presence. But this is off topic. Um, um, if technology has gotten us, it didn't cause these problems, but yeah. it got us yeah. deeper into it, but will like, it what, also get us out, or what will is it the, just be the final nail in the coffin? Yeah. Dark, huh? We'll dark. see. I mean, it's about to the dark and light. I mean... Or what is the step beyond, like, what, you know, what do you see the team humaning being? Is, is it, is it, a, is it well, a, re, a re co-opting tech? Is it discarding certain types of tech? Yeah, I, guess, I mean, tech know? is definitely not the enemy. The, the, the problem is that We've, we've committed technology to capitalism. Mm-hmm. So if the object of the game is to extract value from people, is to increase the stickiness of your website and get more eyeball hours out of people or to, to algorithmically uh, hypnotize people into submission and make human beings more predictable, um, then all is lost. You know, mm-hmm. the, the 20% of unpredictable people that Facebook is trying to uh, uh, collapse into their statistical profiles are the 20% who are going to come up with the answers. That's where the innovation and weirdness comes from that that figures out climate change and cures cancer and AIDS and everything else. So if we continue on the path of trying to get rid of those people or to steer them towards predictable conformist outcomes, 
then, yeah, then we all die, you know, one way or another. Um, even if we just end up zombified, you know, which is the equivalent of death. If we embed future technologies with the values that we've left behind, you know, and we really have to go all the way back to, you know, the late Middle Ages to look at the values that we intentionally uh, 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 repressed, you know, women, um, indigenous people, uh, permaculture and agriculture, um, circular understandings of, of, uh, uh, of science and nature, um, and local economics and local currencies and worker-owned businesses and value exchange. If we retrieve those values, I'm not saying go back. Wall Street Journal says, oh, Rushkoff wants to go back to the Middle Ages. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we took this one right foot and put it all the way forward, but mm-hmm. it's gone as far as it can. Now we take the left foot you know, and bring that forward. So we've got to bring it forward, not go back to it. Um, if we can bring those values forward and embed the digital infrastructure with those values... Good, good stuff happens. I mean, imagine what if we had social networks that instead of being programmed to lead us to look at other people as adversaries, what if we programmed them to help us see adversaries as human beings? What if whenever you looked at a MAGA hat kid in a video on Twitter, mm-hmm. that Twitter was configured or, or contextualized so that you see the human? Oh, there's a human who's wearing a MAGA hat and believes the stuff that I don't believe. There's a human who's a Native American. You know, there's, I mean, and when I talk like this, even leftist progressives will say, I don't want to see that person as a human. They're less than human. It's like, yeah, but if you can't see the human in the MAGA hat kid, how do you expect him to see the human in the Mexican across the border? You know, who he doesn't see as human. So uh, it, it, we have the same work to do as anybody else. They're just as involved in the outrage economy uh, whether right. whether they're mad at the hat kid or somebody else, uh, right? And they're tweeting it on. They are. They are, and they're helping. And they're feeding the, the Twitter beast. Yes, they 100%. are. Um, and Twitter's not paying them for their attention, other than amusing them, other than bread and circusing them. Right. Uh, in a hundred years, will we be back here with um, an AI copy of your brain writing Team Robot? No, and uh, robots—they wouldn't write books. They wouldn't bother. They they're training him to. They want him to replace yeah, not that's just only reporters. If, but, uh, if we're at the place where, you know, the, where the robot novels. is writing Team Robot, then there wouldn't be any people around anyway to write it for. So they're, they're, they're I feel almost like Ayn Rand saying, uh, if I don't exist, then nothing exists. But I kind of believe that if people don't exist, then what does it matter? You know, uh, uh, I'm also wondering, like, what, we, we talk about so many different science fiction models, like you mentioned yeah. robots in the past, and we keep using those as models for the future. Like, What are the science fiction or, or, mm-hmm. or fictional models at the moment that are going to drive those things that we can't predict yet? You know, what is, Or does this just continue like in this... We seem like we're still riding out a certain oh, we wave. Always, of we always write it before we invent it. Yes. But the, yeah. ride, the wave that we're riding is this sort of zombie Westworld, humans suck and are yeah. going to get eaten and replaced by something else. And that, um, that's a dangerous place for us to stay for too long. You know, if people really have trouble distinguishing themselves from zombies, if people really believe that robots are somehow... I mean, those, all those robot fantasies are basically uh, unresolved issues of slavery in America. You know, it's like we just did slavery and we're imagining now our own enslavement. Mm-hmm. But that's partly because we're inflicting Wetico now on ourselves. 
You know, even white Western privileged men are now experiencing themselves as an indigenous species being colonized by uh, these these non-player characters called corporations. Well, I keep thinking about like I look at a lot of VR, I look at a lot of AR and stuff like that, and I think like to some degree there's talk about how that will cause, and that's been for years. People think about that's going to reinvent identity, but I also think of it as how much of that is going to uh, you know begin to uh, hide the actual human underneath to the point where you disassociate more. You know, like is that something? Is that is that an increasing mask, or is it a? That happened throughout internet history too. I mean, it's like the mask, mask as a yeah. as a way of liberating to become free versus the mask as hiding the human contact. You know, and it's like right. as we keep moving to like digital avatar culture, I just wonder like how it will resolve itself. As long as we think of it as play, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, remember again back in the day, you right. know, you'd go on a on a in a in a moo or something online, and you would pretend you're something else. Yeah, that was as bad. But it was as cultural experimentation it was like theater games you know and now it's reality tv now that's you mm-hmm. you know so yeah trump is playing a character but mm-hmm. people believe it's real they think it's real you know or or it, the american idol people playing on a tv game show as pop music something it's like the the play has replaced the real, and yeah. it's not and without the play, yeah. without the sense that the sacred sense of of play and ritual in it, and that's that's scary too. But that's what happens. We we've lost the ability. We've lost metaphor. Mm-hmm. We've lost analogy. It's we've just, become literalists. I know. So it's reality TV. Okay, it's literal. He set a wall. So boom. It's well, wall. like the internet play right. space. Like when you got into like a, a social networks where you like you know increasingly put your your real name or it, it reemphasized. Check the email. A lot of ways, yeah. It emphasizes a lot of ways the uh, that that somehow these things are real, and right. that it became less about like, oh, I'm in a chat room where we're avatars, and this is not real. This is a place where we're like, you know, it's, it's yeah, like the, the early chat room culture. But that's that also the difference between a television culture, which was so much about storytelling, and an internet culture, which is so much about memes. You know, and memes are more reality based. Even if they're not true, they're rumors. They pretend to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a different. I do feel like we shifted from a kind of a fiction, novel based, movie based, three act structure based world into this much more uh, uh, realistic one or non fictiony, non fictiony one. We still have these, you know, Game of Thrones epic experiences, but uh, not not. The same way, not the same way we did before. I mean, mm-hmm. the other cure. I mean, that's why yeah. I did this. This is, a, I mean, this is a manifesto, right? This is a manifesto. It's a hundred little points, and the, the part of the cure I'm, I'm suggesting is, is, is this, this way of engaging with ideas. In other mm-hmm. words, to have a, a book of object value, something you keep next to your bed, a hundred little sort of meditations or thoughts, or you know, it's, it's a. This is the first book I've written that's not about something. You know what I mean? It's like I've written nonfiction books. This is how the economy collapsed. This is how, you know, the consciousness worked. This is like, no, this is a book written as an experience. I want you to go through this. This is like, you know, instead of going down to Peru and doing ayahuasca with that shaman, just get this book, keep it by your bed, read a hundred, a hundred, one section a night for a hundred nights or like three minutes each, and you're going to be taken through a trip 
I mean, it's a bad trip for part of it, but then I hopefully bring you to the morning dew and, you know, and sunrises and you see, okay, I can go out in the world and find the others and we can we can do this. And you can still do the ayahuasca. It's okay. Yeah, you can still do yeah, that if you want. Saying, or, you don't or, have or CBD oil, whatever you're into. Uh, yeah, well, I do improv. That's my, that's my, that's my. That's your drug of UCB? choice. You no, I used to, you I did used that a to, while right? ago. Yeah. Now I'm just taking a class in in now my you just local do it town. on the street. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm still in a class to reconnect with it, but it's like, a, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, it's I like okay. that in my local town. Yeah. As opposed to my town. Yeah, I do yeah, it in yeah. my local <laughs> town. My local town. Because <laughs> this is like my work town. Right. And then there's like where I live. Um, but yeah, I'm doing it with a lot of people who've never done it before. And so it's kind of, it, it's really cool because it's everyone just a beginner and uh, they're kind of like t- just taking a leap and you're um, interacting with a lot of people who are not after it for anything. They're just trying this because they want to try something new. And there's like a sense of Isn't new. Isn't that great? So there's it's no really, utility. So maybe think of your book. Right. Yeah. No utility value. There's no money. In no. It. It's just yes and. Yeah. and yeah. It's just like seeing like, yeah, they've been working all day and they want to try this. It's kind of, I guess, maybe like yoga or other yeah. things where you just say, you know, I'm, I just I just want to get out of my head and I, and I want to see what this is about. Interesting. That's my next project, actually, is I was going to call it comedy? Teen, teen Human Theater. But no, it's a But a, yeah, there's still a lot a play. of play. It's theater. It's theater. I want to distribute these plays to local theater groups around the country. It's great. But these plays are totally up for interpretation. So there'll be a scene like between worker really? and boss. Yeah. But I don't say where the worker and boss are. So you work so it out. Like is it in a Walmart? Is it in a, a you know, is it a... a, a Algorithmic trader yeah. and his and the algorithm, you know, instructing him is it Abraham and one of his slaves in the Bible. So where you set it and your your set and setting will determine. And by working through it, you kind of learn a little bit about you go through a process, right? And the idea is, I mean, eventually people realize the scripts don't matter. Right, the scripts are just there as the excuse to get you to bring your set and setting to the table. Well, there are people who are doing yeah dramatic improv uh, right. in that realm. Actually, I've been really interested in that whole immersive theater landscape, talking yeah. to people in that world where there are some people doing uh, big productions. Some of them are more like uh, the magic circle where it's like a yeah. little uh, uh, people uh, interacting in a safe space. But it's interesting because you see that world and I love it because it doesn't involve much tech. And it seems like what, what, what people are doing is they're letting go of the tech, but they're also at the same time taking a, a more magic trip by doing that, which is allowing them to be truer to themselves. So right. it's like they're not as connected to their personality and their accounts, but at the same time, they're they're doing something that feels more like real in the moment. So, yeah, it seems like a bit of I don't know what that is, but I've also seen that in some books lately. A lot of no, it's fiction. retrieval of the yeah. of, of live enactment. People, oh yeah, I mean, people yeah. have been we've even been talking a lot lately about the resurgence of you know we live in a very video game oriented world, <laughs> and it's kind of been talking about the bizarre growth in analog games, board games, tabletop games over the last year or two to where it's become... More than actual, the last year or two. But yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. also... But, but, yeah, but it's but become a big years. business in the last year or two. It's like the main thing on Kickstarter. It's I went to uh, uh, um, the uh, the Alamo Drafthouse movie theater and they've replaced their tchotchke shop with a board game shop. It's weird. Because people <laughs> want to put down the controller and maybe it's have an actual... Culture. Yeah, yeah, it's so Disconnect culture. That. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an outgrowth. I mean, they all intertwine too. Like, there's people doing like... It's it's a the come out and play festival. People mm-hmm. are doing like uh, street games or, or things like that. Yeah. All right, we've gone way over, but I think we've established one thing: humanity will be rescued by improv. Well, it's been improv all along. <laughs> thanks to Douglas Rushkoff for coming in today and talking to us. I'm Dan Ackerman for Scott Stein. Thanks so much for watching CNET Book Club. <laughs>